and welcome to Cult Fiction, a journey through cinema's CD underbelly. I'm your host, Stephanie Johnson. And I'm your other host, Andy Bowell. And our cult movie this week that we are going to be talking about is the wonderful, the fabulous, Hocus Pocus. I put a spell on you. And now you're mine. For those of you who skipped the movie, um, Hocus Pocus is about Max, a teen desperately trying to fit in, who accidentally reanimates the Sanderson sisters, a trio of witches who then threaten the lives of the children around Salem, especially Max's younger sister, Danny. With the help of Max's love interest, Allison Binks, an immortal cat, Billy, a reanimated zombie, the crew is able to save Salem's children and parents from certain doom. So for those of you who skipped the movie, that's the uh, synopsis. Right. And this is one, I mean, this is one you absolutely shouldn't skip. This is one, like if you're our age or younger, you saw on ABC Family every October. (laughs) Uh, Except for me, because I grew up a very sheltered child (laughs) and wasn't allowed to watch a lot of scary things. And I think this fell under my parents' purview of terrifyingness um okay so i saw this for the first time last year really as a grown 26 year old 28 year old woman oh fascinating okay because like so just just we're gonna have totally opposite opposite perspectives then i have seen this movie maybe 25 times Exactly. So last time we talked, we talked about Coraline and we mentioned how I've seen that every year since, probably since it came out, Um, because that came out roundabout in my 20s when I was out of my parents' house and started like my education of here are movies that I want to see. Um, But somehow this one was, I guess, nostalgic enough that I missed it. I'd never seen it anyway. Interesting. So yeah, I watched it for the last time last year. So I'm watching it as an adult. Sure. And I had no nostalgia for it whatsoever. Meanwhile, I'm watching this. I watched it recently with a friend of mine, and she's watching it through the perspective of someone who grew up watching it. And also, I watched it recently with Alex, my husband, and he's watching it through the perspective of someone who's grown up watching this. And I did not. Right. Okay. I'm super excited. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same category as Alex and your friend. This is probably my favorite Halloween movie. Oh, I love that. Yeah. This is, this is an annual watch for me. Coraline wasn't, um, uh-huh. and this absolutely is. So that's fascinating. So how, uh, how did you go about watching it for this time? Um, so I actually bought it in the rummage bin at like, I think a CVS or a Target or something like that. Nice. We came across it. It was $5. And I was like, oh yeah, I want to own this because the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, I could see why this is an annual movie watch for some people. So I was like, yes, I feel, I feel we should own this. We just got gifted a an DVD player by our friend Chris, who was like, you guys don't have a DVD player here. I have one that I never use. Have my old DVD player from, I think, college. So Chris is is so great. And he's like, oh, I'm not using this thing. Here you go, friend. (laughs) So he's so sweet. And we're like, all right, now we now we can actually buy DVDs. And so then we bought the DVD of Hocus Pocus. Awesome. Okay. Well, great. How did you watch the movie, Andrew? <laughs> so I do want to say for our listeners who do want to watch the movie, uh, it is available on the streaming service Freeform. 
Um, and I have seen it available on Hulu and Netflix, but not in the October season. It's also available through methods these podcasters cannot endorse. No, because we don't condone stealing from artists. This is true. We don't. But <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Andrew, Richard, were you bad? I was bad. Andrew. Yeah, it's crazy because like I swore I owned this movie, and maybe it's just at my uh, my family's house, or maybe I was just so used to being able to watch this on cable that it didn't occur to maybe. me that I didn't actually own it. But well, it's so funny being a being a cable cutter because you're like, oh, I have this. Oh no, wait, I don't. It's just on TV every year. Right. So things that you're used to reoccurring in your life, you're like. Oh, now I see why people have cable. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there are things like the Olympics is a is yeah. an experience that you have to figure out how to do differently as a cable cutter. Yep, absolutely. So, so I'll try not to pirate too many movies. And, and as a goal, honestly, um, for going forward, I do want to make it, I, I want to make this as accessible for people listening to go out and watch these uh, as possible. So... Just as a quick aside between you and me, maybe what we start doing once we get into the um, the movie choosing is do that ahead of time, figure out where the movie's available, and give that as a, hint, a, uh, a, a means for people to watch it. Or they can just watch it after the fact with our delightful commentary. Awesome. Sounds good yeah. to me. So speaking of delightful commentary, let's get into it. Yes. Okay. So... I wanted to start with our last time we did Coraline, we did a six degrees of and against Stephanie, but neither of us are related to um, anyone in this movie. Right. My mom wasn't friends with Bette Midler, unfortunately. Which is, oh my gosh. Can you imagine your mom being best friends with Bette Midler? <laughs> my life would be different. The two of them in the same room would be adorable. <laughs> Um, no, I did not. I'm not related to Kathy Najimy, and I don't like go out and get coffee with Sarah Jessica Parker, which is much to my chagrin. But it is really easy with this movie to play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, it's a movie game wherein you connect actors from one movie to another movie using Kevin Bacon and using this actor was in this movie with this movie and this movie with this actor and this movie with this actor. Yep. Who is in a movie with Kevin Bacon? Well, with this uh, movie, it can be done in one fell swoop because Sarah Jessica Parker was in Footloose with Kevin Bacon. Which I did not remember. It's been a minute since I've seen Footloose, but I did not remember Sarah Jessica Parker being in that movie at all. So fun story. I did like this really convoluted one where I was like, Sarah Jessica Parker was in this <laughs> with... Um, she was in Sex in the City with this person and then who is in this person? And then Alice goes, or you could just do Footloose. And I was like, oh, Damn it. That's the worst. He's so good at that game. <laughs> so, so, you know, speaking yeah. of Sarah Jessica Parker, I have to admit, Hocus Pocus is the only movie I find her attractive in. <laughs> so you're not the only person in my life to say this. Huh. The friend who I sat down and watched it with, she's like, I don't know what it is. But Sarah Jessica Parker in this movie is really attractive. And in every other th role I've seen her in, I'm just kind of like, eh. Yeah. 
<laughs> like, I, like I, I'm in the same boat. I don't know if it's the the super pale makeup with the the dark eyeliner, or if it's that that long hair, or and I mean she's so in the movie she is the dumb witch, but she's such a cute yes. dumb witch. Like she's adorable. And I think she's written that way. She's written to be the role of like so in which. And a lot of witch lore, there's the, like, maiden witch, right. the matronly witch, and then the crone right. witch. And she is, the sisters are definitely sufficient of this trio because you have Sarah Jessica Parker as the maiden witch. She's very bosomly. She's got long maidenly hair. She's very cute and sweet and innocent seeming, even when she's being sexualized. Yeah. Then you have Kathy Najimi's character, who's very matronly. She's got a very heavy bosom, a very thick waist. You could see her, like, stirring the pot. She's very um, mothering, kind of, in her own way. Sure. Uh, down to the fact that she rides a uh, vacuum yeah. later. I thought that was really cute. Yeah. Um, and then you have the crone of, the, of Winnie, sorry. And she's, like head boss in charge. Yeah, so, that actually, that I totally that fits really good catch. Cause I did not make that connection at all, but I think that very mm -hmm. much holds up. Well, and also it points to the sexuality of this movie that Sarah Jessica Parker is so overly sexualized. Cause this is really sexual for this, a Disney movie. Yeah. I, I somehow forgot this was Disney at all. And I just, I, I don't know who I thought yeah. produced it, but I didn't remember it being a Disney movie. This is incredibly sexual in a lot of different ways. Yes. Well, I think it, it would make sense for like a 20th Century Fox yeah. movie. Because it's so, um, the ways in which it's sexual are very 20th Century Fox, where it's like, it's nothing overt yeah but definitely as someone who didn't grow up watching this movie as an adult i'm like holy crap this isn't a kid's movie <laughs> yeah there's a lot left there's a lot of jokes left for the adults and there's a lot of stuff that will completely go over you know a young child's head but this is a pretty raunchy movie you know there's so yeah. much there's so much importance to teenage hormones and a virgin has to light the black flame candle and like side note everything th this movie does not happen if max is not a horny teenager so mm. i would like to just exactly. go ahead and place all of the blame on him <laughs> yes well and also there's a a thing speaking of comments that totally flew over the heads of children so allison the love interest Max offers to her to light the black flame candle and she like politely demures and kind of smiles to herself. Huh. Yeah. It's sort of implied that she can't light the candle. Huh. Like she's like, no, I'm good. Sort of implying that she's not a virgin. Good catch. This is where I, I still had the kid gloves on, I guess. Cause that went over my mm -hmm. head though. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Allison for a second, because yes, this let's. is something weird that I noticed as I was watching through it. So there's the scene where Max and his little sister Danny, who is played by Thora Birch, they go over to Allison's Halloween party and they're walking in. And it's like it's a very weird Halloween party, especially compared to the one scene later in the movie where it's like very 
elegant and and very like 1800s gala masquerade regalia and Allison's got the pretty dress on and I'm watching Mm -hmm. this and I'm thinking to myself this is very eyes wide shut (laughs) yeah it's it's very specific and she also makes a mention to her outfit saying oh they make me wear this kind of like her parents are like here you have to fit in if you're gonna be at our party you have to wear this so you can be a part of it now here's what's weird i sit there i sit here and i make this connection to eyes wide shut um hocus pocus came out six years prior but Mm -hmm. allison is in that movie and she plays the prostitute <gasps> that Tom Cruise tries to get with. Ew. So if 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 Eyes Wide Shut came out first, you could be like, oh, it's an inside joke. But Hocus Pocus came out first, and that makes it so weird to me. Such a weird, such a cool, fun coincidence. It's almost self-referential. Yeah. Like, oh, we're gonna make fun of this late. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. So. How weird. And, and it never comes up. You never see, they never go back to the house. They never go up to the party. But I think the uh, the Illuminati of Salem meet at that house and, you know, do what you do when you have a sexy masquerade party. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny that you make the Illuminati comment because it's like, not only is it a very sophisticated party, like all the adults are in the other room. They're not mingling. They're not out. Right. So it kind of feels like she's separated from the party. Like, she's like, oh, I'm just here to serve cider. (laughs) Very weird. It is very weird. Like, first of all, Max and Danny just walk in. I'm sorry. Even in 1993, who does that? But... So rude, right? (laughs) Yeah, there's the bowl of candy, and you never see any of these adults. You never... it's, It's just a fun... It would make so much more sense if it were directly referencing Eyes Wide Shut. But it came out six years before that. Eyes Wide Shut was still a gleam in Stanley Kubrick's crazy eye. <laughs> Max Dennison. Allison. Oh, Allison. Hmm? Um, Allison is an interesting character because she, I feel like she's more of a protagonist than Max oh, is. Oh, absolutely. Allison and Danny are the real heroes of this movie. Like, like Max is secretly the villain and you look at what they do, he does not actually contribute anything positive to Mm-mm. the group. Mm-mm. And his arc changes very quickly. Like, his... And it makes no real major transformations. At the beginning of the movie, Max kind of dislikes his little sister and is sort of rude to her, but ultimately gets why she's there. And then at the end of the movie, he's like, okay, I guess I'll sacrifice my life for you because I love you. But we don't really get to watch that transformation. Right. There is no real lead up to it. And yeah, like the about the only thing he does is trick the witches into thinking they're melting when he uh, holds his Zippo up to the sprinkler system in the Sanderson house. Like, like that, and and he has the very forced hero moment at the end where he, uh, you know, he's prepared to sacrifice himself for his sister. Other than that, Max doesn't contribute a whole lot. And so here's a fun fact. Uh, Max was played by Omri Katz, who mm-hmm. had been in the TV show Dallas and not a whole other else. 
We almost got Leonardo DiCaprio in that role. I know. I know. <laughs> I was reading up on that and I was like, that would have been so much better. I don't I don't want to say Omri Katz is the worst part of this movie. That's mean, but... Is it though? Because it feels true. He is absolutely the worst part of this movie. I just, like watching him, I, I kept like, if you look at his face in a lot of scenes, you can see him like thinking through the stage direction or, and now I turn my head and make this face and (laughs) just not a strong performance overall. Omri Katz, as it turns out, like I don't remember him in anything else because Hocus Pocus was pretty much the highlight of his career. He actually retired from acting in 2006 and as best I can tell is now a LA hairdresser. Huh? Yeah. Right. (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't want him cutting my hair. I mean, I'm sure he's very good at what he does, but the whole time I'd be like, don't light the black flame candle. He'd be like, oh my God. He probably hears that all the time. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, I definitely think that the Sanderson sisters, really the women in this movie run the show. Yeah, the women run the show. And (laughs) this, I, I think part of the reason why Max falls so short as a protagonist is because this movie isn't about Max, Danny, and Allison. Presents Mm-mm. itself that way. But this movie is about the Sanderson sisters. Interesting. Like, I... How so? Tell me more. Well, so, I mean, just, you look at it, and I am very much convinced that the director, Kenny Ortega, was actually trying to make a fish-out-of-water comedy about the witches, and just conventions of Disney morality forced it to be where okay yes you can do that but they have to wind up being the villains which means we need a hero but you look at what goes on like i mentioned as soon as they're resurrected it really just is a complete fish out of water comedy that's where a lot of the laughs come from there's multiple instances where the witches think they are killed simply because they do not understand modern technology right they try to walk across the street and they're like oh i don't know it's a deep river it's so black and then they step on it and they're like it's solid and then they walk down the asphalt street right there's that they don't understand sprinklers they don't they don't know what car headlights are they don't understand what a bus is which you have thoughts about the bus (laughs) i have okay so back to this movie being very sexualized they get on the bus and the bus driver is the creepiest bus driver i've ever seen They have this line where uh, they open the door and he says, hey, ladies, what can I do? Or no, he says, double, double toil in trouble or yeah, bubba, bubba, yeah, I'm in yeah, trouble yeah. or something, which is <laughs> not, a gr- not a way to greet women. And then the women, the Sanderson sisters say, we hunger for children. And his reply is, well, it'll take me a couple tries. Right. Ah, the next time you see him, Sarah Jessica Parker's in his lap while the bus is driving. Which is just unsafe. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, uh, I I had written down the most pervy bus driver since Mrs. Doubtfire. I would argue the most pervy driver, even including Mrs. Doubtfire, because even the bus driver on Mrs. Doubtfire is just like, oh, you're so sweet. I love you. I love you just the way God made you with your hairy legs. Aww. And that's not even pervy. It's just, well, I mean, I would argue it's a little forward, but it's nice. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Retroactively, uh, the bus driver for Mrs. Doubtfire is nice. And no, this guy is a perv. <laughs> oh, he's so creepy. And then they leave and he's like, see you later, girls. Right. <laughs> well, that's it. We desire children. 
it may take me a couple of tries, but I don't think that'd be a problem. But also, so in addition to him, there's the devil right. guy that they go to the house of. And I don't know what's going on with that scenario. I don't know what's going on with that couple and their marriage, but it seemed like they were trying to swing, maybe? Well, I what I got from it was you've got the guy playing the devil and... He mm-hmm. very much cares about Halloween enough to put on a little devil costume and he's the one giving out uh, candy. He falls in with the rest of the adults of Salem who have this, you know, this exaggerated Disney love of that holiday. And then you've got his mm-hmm. wife who really doesn't give a crap <laughs> and is... Yeah, she's just sitting there watching TV. Right, she's sitting there watching TV, not not in a costume, not in a curl, uh, just in her hair curlers, and it's it's a very 1993 forced representation of this. But I very much got like you know a, a shrew who had who's in an unhappy relationship with her husband, and they're not going to do anything about it, but they're also not going to go to couples therapy because it's 1993. Right. Well, interesting fact about that married couple, they are actually pay- played by a brother and sister. Ah! So maybe they're just crap at acting and they were like, we don't have chemistry because we're brother and sister and we can't even pretend. <laughs> right. uh, so maybe it's that. That makes it better, I think. I know, right? So creepy. <laughs> oh, man. So if, if Hocus Pocus were remade today, which, by the way, I, I've there are rumors that it is going to be remade. And I am against that. But are you? Oh, leave Hocus Pocus alone. Like, we, <laughs> we, your husband and I have talked about our opinions of of unnecessary film reboots, and mm. I think a Hocus Pocus reboot would be incredibly unnecessary. Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, just got rebooted for Netflix, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that because it's such a drastic heel turn of tone. And they turned, you know, a, a right. four camera sitcom into an actual like spooky, compelling show. It, it has a different mm-hmm. viewpoint. It has something to say. I can't imagine what a rebooted Hocus Pocus would have to say other than, hey, kids, remember this movie? All that right. said, if it right. were rebooted, the Sanderson sisters would absolutely wind up as like the protagonists or or have something at the end that redeems them or highlights them. Uh, like that Angelina Jolie Maleficent movie. I agree. And I think we're also at a time that witch familiarity and familiarity with paganism and magic is much more accepted than it was in the 90s. So I think it's much, it would be gauche of Disney to try and make witches a villain again. Yeah, And even Kathy Najimy, hesitated she was offered the role after rosie o'donnell turned it down Mm, okay and she even kathy najimi even hesitated on taking the role because she said at the time i don't want witches to be perceived in a negative light um so she really hesitated with taking the role and ultimately did so and i'm glad she did but it certainly was a reaction when the remake was announced by the witch community to say, okay, you can remake it, but please try and keep in mind that real witches don't eat children. Right. And there was definitely that backlash in the community. So it would be interesting to see 
how that would go over as a remake. Absolutely. You know, I I, I think it's gonna it's either going to happen or it's not. I don't want it to happen. Good on Kathleen Jamie. That is either very progressive or remarkably superstitious of her in the time. But good on her. <laughs> right? But good on her. Well, and she was not the only one. So in doing research, I found it interesting that Sarah Jessica Parker found out that her 10th, great-grandmother, Esther Elwell, was actually arrested in the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah, so she found out after, well, after doing the role that she was like, oh, this changes my perspective on witchdom entirely. She wrote that it changed everything about who she thought she was. Sure, huh. So, yeah. The only reason I don't want a remake of Hocus Pocus is this movie is not about Max, Danny, and Allison. This movie is about the Sanderson sisters, and it's not even about the Sanderson sisters as characters. This movie is an excuse mm. to get Bette Midler on the screen doing what she does best and being amazing and delightful, and you're not going to find a better Winnie. Right, exactly. And she even said it was her favorite role that she ever it's played. It's my favorite role she ever played. Like, she I know. Kills it. And, and, you know, the funniest parts of the movie to me are the moments where... They just go ahead and be like, okay, give us your best, give give us some shtick, bet. <laughs> like, like there's the moment <laughs> where she's crying because she, she got called ugly by Danny. And there's, um, there's the car chase scene at the end where she comes up to them in her broom and is like saying, highway patrol, pull over. <laughs> Which she doesn't, she doesn't know what that is. Can I see a lemon? Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, and they're, um, the three of them together have such perfect chemistry. Like they're, I don't remember what they call it, but they have a specific walk where they huff and puff and they like walk sure. in a certain way. And it's so well done. Their movement chemistry is oh, so yeah, perfect. Oh yeah, the choreography is amazing. I don't know. I don't know. Leave it, leave it alone. Keep playing it on ABC Family. Put it on Netflix. Make it the holiday classic that it is. Uh, yep. Put it on Netflix so Andy doesn't have to illegally exactly. pirate it. Because I shouldn't have to illegally pirate anything when I'm paying for three different streaming services. And there's one thing that I know that you don't know. And what is that, dude? <laughs> Daylight savings time. So, do you want to hear my hottest take from this movie? More than more than it being a fish out of water film? Yes. Um, so I'd like to go ahead and highlight the characters of Jay and Ice. These are the two bullies that uh, mess with Max throughout the movie. So yes. watching the movie this time, it was overwhelmingly obvious to me that the two of them are in love with each other. What? <laughs> Here's my argument. They are... Very fashionable, to the point where Ice is carving shapes into his hair. They are very fashion-forward. They they know a good pair of shoes when they see one. They are... I don't want to get in trouble and say that them having a flair for their dramatic is a red flag of their sexuality. Right. But I think more than the average person in the film, they are shown as very eccentric they are very supportive of each other as like the two outcasts bullies of the place there's the moment where they're first introduced and the guy goes i'm jay this is brad and ice is like i told you call me ice and he's like i'm jay <laughs> this is ice <laughs> And the way he says it, he he could add a yeah. honey at the end. Right. He really could. 
I told you, honey, call me <laughs> right. Ice. Like, it would not surprise me at all. I'd be like, oh, they're there, queer. Yeah, okay. and, and, like, there's the scene at the, uh, there's the scene before they're captured by the Sanderson sisters where they're just sitting on a car at three in the morning and, like, argue, they're, they're arguing like an old married couple about what to do. You never take me out anymore. It's three in the morning. Where am I going to take you out? <laughs> So true. And they're hanging out together alone at three o'clock in the morning. Exactly. <laughs> so I think factor that in with the fact that it's 1993 Massachusetts, probably not the safest time to like be honest and come out. So I feel there's a lot of repression with these guys. Mm -hmm. I feel like they manifest that repression by lashing out. That's why they're bullies. And add in the fact that they are absolutely captured by three strange women and traumatized. I just, Aww. I picture them nowadays living in a house on the bay in Martha's Vineyard and each sharing like a glass of Chardonnay and remembering that Halloween night all those years ago where they learn not to be afraid anymore. <laughs> Oh, sweet. And they've got like a little right. scrapbook of it. They have like the shoelaces from Max's shoes that they've right. like saved. <laughs> Don't you remember, Ice? Stop calling me that. You know I stopped going by Ice <laughs> years ago. Anyway, that's my hot take. Ice and Jay are maybe the best couple in the movie. And I'm sticking to it. I love that. I don't think that Allison and Omri, uh, sorry, Max, have any chance of no. lasting whatsoever. She is That's way, my hot take. They are too. She is way too cool for him. She is way too cool for him. And he, like, doesn't have his chill together at all. Like, he would just... He would be the kind of boyfriend who would obsess so much over his hot girlfriend that it would eventually yeah. get annoying. <laughs> so... I think, honestly, I think Danny is a cooler character than Max. Because Danny's well put together, has her head on straight has her own sense of, like, fantastic right. humor. I think Danny's awesome. You know, that's the other thing we would get with the remake, is they would they would refocus, and Danny would be, like, the human protagonist. No, I agree. Danny's great. Um, Thora Birch mm -hmm. is a name people should at least kind of recognize. And it's, it's funny. She will be on this podcast again. She is in a lot of cult movies. Really? Yeah. What else is she in? Um, so she's in Ghost World, which uh, is on our list. And Sweet. Uh, she was also um, the daughter of Kevin Spacey in American Beauty, which let's go. Oh, my God. <laughs> you want to go back what? to weird, weird future connections with hypersexualized movies and the females, the, you know, the, the, the two human females in Hocus Pocus. There's another one for you. For the longest time, I thought she was the other girl, the one he fantasizes about, but I looked it up and she's right. actually his daughter. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's a weird connection. Yeah. There's a lot of that with this movie. You know, the other thing, um, so we haven't talked very much about Binks at all. Um, right. But he's great. He's great. You know, and Binks, we see him as his human self in the 1600s or, or whenever the flashbacks are. And then, you know, you see him as the cat. When he's his human self, he's played by the actor Sean Murray. The only other thing I've seen Sean Murray do is he is in the, uh, cr uh, the criminal procedural NCIS where he's like a very 
very demure, kind of dorky uh, naval cop. So to see the Proby from NCIS be like heroic and dashing was a very weird thing to see. And the voice doesn't help. No, it doesn't. Right. The voice um, being James, uh, Jason Marsden, who is... Who is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Such a great voice actor. You know, the biggest thing he's known for is being Max, um, Goofy's son. But he's got a... You know, a, a list of credits, the the name, the length of my arm. Mm-hmm. He does a fantastic job, and and the whole dashing, like like the voice is just great. You can kind of hear Max in there, but it's like the most badass version of Max. <laughs> yeah, Thackeray Binks is bae. Thackeray Binks is great. It, yeah, when he comes back at the end, I was like, oh, had I grown up watching this as a like as a small child, I totally get why everyone's like, oh, Thackeray Binks is so great. <laughs> I'd like to continue talking about Thackeray Binks and like, so the, the whole deal with him is he is cursed to be as a cat and we find out he is cursed to be an immortal cat. He cannot die until the Sanderson sisters do and the curse is lifted. There right. is the moment towards the end, like like two thirds of the way through the movie, where the gang thinks they've killed the Sanderson sisters, and Danny mm-hmm. has like like she has Binks in his arms, and she's just like, "I'm gonna love you forever and feed you and blah 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 blah." And they've established that the cat cannot die. <laughs> they, there's even a, there's even a line about it of like, "Oh, you're just gonna let me grow into one of those old fat house cats." And Max is like, "Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be pretty good eternity for you, huh?" <sighs> that doesn't sound great. Clearly, none of these kids have seen Highlander. Immortality is bad. <laughs> you watch everyone you love die over and over and over again. Cool. Sounds like a great existence. Right. And to like, like, especially as a cat where you don't even have like, like agency, you're not going to be able to like do the thing where you just reinvent yourself and move to a different part of the world every hundred years because you're a cat. You're limited to being a cat. So they're, they're talking about like his fate, like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be great for him. And it, like it's it's hell it's it's a hell i would be so like worried and terrified if i were in that situation and none of the kids are well i've talked about reincarnation of like if i ever come back as an animal i want to come back as a really well-loved house pet but that's just because house pets have it made sure i wouldn't want to live forever as a house pet right like you just figure by year 300 he's gone insane oh absolutely <laughs> Cause she's like, my ch- I'll watch you, and then my children are watching. That's what it is. And then yeah. My children's children, and I'm like, ugh. That's, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that's some depressing romantic movie in its own right. But like, just mm-hmm. f- talk about a fate worse than death. Yeah, seriously. Which is why I think the Sanderson sisters are boss. Because they're like, oh, you want eternal punishment? Let's see what's the worst thing we can think of. You're gonna live forever, and you're gonna live forever as a cat. Right. <laughs> like... Bread not. Fatter and big stout angel feline. Still alive. And waiting for you. They're so good at doling out punishment, though, which is why they're boss. They are. And, you know, like, they do actually have enough behind them where they're definitely evil. Like, I can absolutely remember Winnie scaring me as a kid. 
Um, yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why this movie works. I, I guess it's the reason why your parents wouldn't let you watch it. <laughs> well, and as an adult watching it, I'm like, man, if I was watching this as a kid, this would be terrifying. Sure. <laughs> Like, I know enough about small Stephanie that I'd be like, oh, yeah, that would give her nightmares. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, at the, be, uh, not the, at the beginning, at the end, um, where they melt the sisters, like, yeah. in the, the ceramics. Right, in the kiln. Lab. That's horrifying. Like, you can hear them screaming from the outside. That's a bit dark. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know why. For some reason, I was, like, not terrified, but very creeped out of the statue that Winnie turns into at the end. Oh, yeah. And watching it this time, I was like, that is not a good CGI effect. That has not aged well. (laughs) (laughs) Go to hell! Oh, I've been there, thank you. I found it quite lovely. (laughs) Okay, so we, speaking of things that are terrifying, Billy is terrifying at first. At fir- yeah, like at, at first when they play him up as the monster. Right. Um, but we have not talked about Billy at all. I think it's so interesting. Speaking of the feminism of this movie, like sisterhood and these sisters love each other. And then you come to find out halfway through the movie that Sarah totally stole Winnie's man. Right. And Winnie was mad at Billy, but it apparently has had no effect on Winnie and Sarah's relationship whatsoever. Well, I I wonder how much of it was Sarah stealing and how much of it was Billy straying. I just kind of mentally filled in the blanks that, like, it's not like he was utterly seduced by Sarah. It's that, for, for whatever reason, he was originally with Winnie and then moved on in a, you know, in a, in a CAD way in a in a not okay way Mm -hmm. but like like they hate each other uh winnie and billy like when you see him yeah she calls him yeah like some some of the best lines in this movie are the insults they throw at each other i think (laughs) i think she calls him a maggot mausoleum which that's perfect (laughs) so great and he calls her a wench a trollop and a bucktooth mop riding firefly from hell (laughs) which is just Okay. That is perfect. That is one of my favorite lines from this movie. <laughs> oh, so good. Billy But Billy's great. Billy is amazing. Like it, it and, and watching it as a kid, watching as an adult, it, it the plot points of Billy's art go by so fast where he's evil, he's chasing them, he catches them, you find out he's good. Watching it as a kid that arc was such a bigger twist and such a bigger deal mm. and it was such like like because he is scary and he's the 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 monster that's chasing them the whole movie and then when he when he does the heel turning he turns good just you're a child and you're cheering yay oh god yeah awesome <laughs> right but as an adult watching it i'm like wow this happens super fast it really does this movie is very tight with its plot and it's funny yeah. for so much of it to just be the two trios kind of ping-ponging around Salem around each other it is a very concise movie yeah for sure uh, the last thing I want to talk about Billy like this isn't my Oscar but it's a runner-up he is resurrected by Winnie and the very first thing he does is checks his own headstone and kind of goes oh man <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so great. Uh, like, he doesn't quite understand if he's dead, and then he looks around and he's like, 
Oh. Damn it! <laughs> right. And I don't know if this is one of the first roles by Doug Jones, but like whether it is or not, it, it needs to be highlighted that uh, Billy is played by phenomenal character actor Doug Jones, who is like all of the greatest monsters of the early 2000s. What? What else is he? Um, he is Abe Sapien from Hellboy. He is also the Angel of Death from Hellboy 2. He is... Uh, currently now he's in the new Star Trek Discovery show. Um, oh, wow. He he is in a lot, and I, I am going to do him justice here. One moment. Um, the biggest Stalin for time. Stalin, vamping, thopping around. He was the amphibian man in The Shape of Water. Uh, he is... <gasps> he is... Okay, sorry, that's all you needed to say. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I got one better for you. He is both okay. the fawn and the pale man in Pan's Labyrinth. Oh! Ah! <laughs> I knew that. He gave me so many nightmares! <laughs> he, yeah. He, he's real good buds with Guillermo del Toro, and he is just... Like, he is one of the most physically iconic performers and I love him and he just he he bears comment this would not be a good review without talking about Doug Jones that is so interesting I would not have even put that together thank you Andy you're very welcome (laughs) so since he's not your Oscar what is your Oscar yeah so let's get into it my Oscar My Oscar for Hocus Pocus is the Oscar for Child Development, and it goes to it, it goes to specifically the scene where it's the Halloween party that all the adults are at, and the kids find their dad who's dressed as Dracula, and then they find their mom, and and the the scene goes, Danny bumps into her mom and is like, Mom, who are you? And she is, you know, Madonna, Madonna with the iconic cone bra. And she like kind of accentuates that and is like, I'm Madonna. (laughs) So four year old Andy is watching this and I don't know why it was this moment and not anything Sarah Jessica Parker did, but the mom like kind of accentuates the bra-ness and something in four year old Andy clicks and goes... Boobs. Boobs are a thing. <laughs> Boobs are a thing that are important. <laughs> I love the mental image of tiny little babby Andy, probably still in a pull-up, pointing at the television and going, Boobs! Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Cute! And I was oh my God. changed permanently from that moment on. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, we... Uh, haven't talked about George of the Jungle yet, but when we when we do talk about George of the Jungle, ten year old Stephanie has some things to say about George of the Jungle and what it elucidated for uh, Yeah. Brendan yeah. Fraser's pretty. He's so pretty. And that was when we had when he had like a six pack right. and gorgeous long brown hair and you were like, Wow. <laughs> so I totally understand the importance of that moment of like, oh, Oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, what is your Oscar, Stephanie? My Oscar fits in very well with that, Andrew. My Oscar is, I would like to award to Hocus Pocus the most disgusting word for female breasts 
which is <laughs> Yabos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that one's uh, so nasty. That one's not in the lexicon for me. <laughs> nope. Well, also, best sister call-out oh, yeah. from Danny, who's like, Max likes your yabos. I was like, shut up, child, shut up right oh, now. Oh, yeah, even, like, e- even secondhand as a small kid, I'm like, you're ruining this for him. Shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> She's just, Danny is savage. Danny is such a queen. She's like, oh, I'm going to make this awkward for everyone involved. Yeah. Oh, oh delightful. Yay. So, uh, Stephanie, what makes Hocus Pocus a cult movie? So, as usual, I have to examine the three aspects of cult. Is it rewatchable? Is it quotable? And do a large section of people identify with this movie? Do they rewatch it? Do they come back to it again and again? So, you've obviously stated that it's rewatchable for you. Utterly and entirely. Right. Um, Since I saw it, Last Halloween, I've rewatched it this Halloween, so I guess I could say it's safe to assume it's going to become an annual watch for me. <laughs> you specifically pointed out there are lines that you quote. Yeah, we uh, we talked about you know Bucktooth mop riding Firefly from Hell. That's just a great line, and it's so good. Like, like um, I don't know why, but throughout my childhood, book book would just be a thing that was yelled <laughs> without context or, or, or any reason. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I would argue, and I think also the, the other last aspect of people having an affinity towards this movie. When I first told a group of my female friends that I had never seen Hocus Pocus, they were all like, oh, we have to come over, we have to come over and watch it. We have to have like an annual thing where we come over to ho- your house and watch Hocus Pocus. And I was like, uh, oh, okay, yeah, sure. We can watch Hocus Pocus. But it was like a shock that I hadn't seen it because they were like, oh yeah, we watch that every year. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I know a ton of people for whom it is their like Halloween. That's what they do. They stay home. They give out candy and they watch Hocus Pocus. Yeah, and that's a great way to go about it. Yeah. So, so this is cult. I think this is cult. I agree. You know, it, it's it's kind of a funny story. One of the other things about cult for me is it has to flop and then become a big deal. And Hocus Pocus yeah. totally was a financial flop. It only really survived because it would go on ABC Family and play every October, and that's how it became a classic. Part of the reason uh-huh. it flopped, Disney released this in, I think, either June or July of 1993. In July, so as to not conflict with Nightmare Before right. Christmas. Which had bigger names behind it. Had bigger it. names, and of the two is probably the more like visually Halloweeny movie. And I just want to say like go Disney for 1993. Like what a year for them for Halloween related stuff. Right. So, yeah, it's crazy, but it makes sense that they're like, "Oh, we have this bigger movie coming out in the fall. Let's release this one in July." Right. And everyone's like, "Well, we're not going to watch this in the summer and it's not going to be in theaters." It doesn't in make October. sense. Right. So right. I agree. You know, Hocus Pocus is totally cult to me. Um, it, it's it's a delightful excuse to get Bette Midler on there. We didn't talk about it, but it, I just got to say, I put a spell on you. Is this movie? Oh my gosh. 
Yes. Like, well, and so I'm watching it, and I'm like, how did they know all the words to this song? And Alex is like, don't question it, Jake. It's Chinatown. <laughs> Nothing makes sense. Very good, not very good advice. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so it's so good that they like just are like, oh yes, this is a song, and this is how we're gonna put a spell on you, and the whole town is gonna become bewitched. Right. Like like that 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 three and a half minutes is 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 the movie to me, and it's the first thing I think about, and I. I, I watched this movie like a week and a half ago and I've been humming I put a spell on you to myself uh, pretty much every day since. So uh. I love this movie. This movie will continue to be on my watch list. I'm going to have to correct the glaring, horrid mistake that I don't actually own it and amend that fact. But this is very much a joy for me and I'm very glad we were able to review it. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Cultified. Yeah. Certified cult. <laughs> we should get like a stamping sound effect like psh, psh, cultified. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now comes the part of the program where we would pick our next movie. Yeah. yeah. The wheel we, of the, cults. The, 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 the mighty marvelous wheel of cult fiction. And I'm going to give it a spin, which is to say I have the list open. We have 291 films, not including the two we Holy just did. Crap. <laughs> and <laughs> let's find out what the cult gods have in store for us. All right. 156, which is... <laughs> <laughs> My neighbor Totoro. <gasps> Yay! <laughs> so, uh, you know, it doesn't matter that it's a practice done. It's faded. Our our official first episode is going to be is going to have to be Totoro. I'm so excited! <laughs> Yay! That is so. Oh, that's oh, really that's so exciting. serendipitous. I love it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so to get myself used to doing this, vamping for time, vamping for time. Uh, My Nader Totoro is a Hayao Miyazaki animated film that premiered in 1993. And it is one of the delightful Studio Ghibli movies that have come out. And if you want to watch it ahead of time, cannot be found online through streaming. It can be purchased. It unfortunately is not available on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, any of those delightful programs. Fortunately for us, we both own this one. <laughs> so we yes. will watch it. And if you cannot find it, we will let you know everything you need to know. And... That will be next time on Cold Fiction. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell. And this has been Cult Fiction. So... Sorry, I had a brain fart. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, long pause. So, are you there? Buffer, buffer, buffer. System has crashed. <laughs>